Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Utah Jazz are back in action tonight. BYU had a close call, almost pulled off what would have been a massive win, but couldn't quite do it. Welcome in here on a Friday morning, heading into a weekend that will feature some NFL playoff games and the Jazz heading out on the road. But first, they've got that game tonight with the Hornets. Jazz are rolling. They've got, uh, what, seven in a row and 12 out of 13. Charlotte's going the other direction. Uh, they weren't, they were under 500, but they weren't uh, hideous when the Jazz played them just a few weeks ago and won in Charlotte. But that was uh, near the start of a six game losing streak, and Charlotte's now lost eight of their last 10. They're 10 games under 500. So time to beat another team, pick up another win at home, and then head out on yet another three-game Eastern road trip. It's going to start Sunday afternoon in uh, Washington. If everything goes as planned, there shouldn't be a lot of drama tonight, and the Jazz ought to get the win. And I know there's small things going on, and, you know, PK's had a cold. I've been battling a little bit of something here, and apparently so is Donovan Mitchell. He said he was fine, and Coach Quinn Snyder played it off like it was nothing, and then Blaine Bogdanovich said, yeah, he's been sick the last couple days. It's a good thing he only had to play 25, 26 minutes in that uh, and that Knicks blowout. So, uh, assuming the whole team isn't catching that and everybody's healthy, it ought to be okay, and the Jazz ought to get the win tonight. Uh, BYU, I thought, uh, like most people, uh, should not be getting the win at St. Mary's, and yet they came very close. But ultimately, St. Mary's got the win in overtime, uh, 87-84. It was, uh, it was a close game most of the way. St. Mary's uh, led by the most six. They did lead most of the way. I think BYU is up like 20 to 19 or something. And St. Mary's uh, had the lead the whole way, but couldn't really go on a big run and open it up. They just kept trading hoops back and forth. And they pushed the lead to seven late in the game. And BYU came back in the final three minutes and tied it up. And there were some big shots. Uh, Jake Toulson hit a big three. Um, Hawes had a good guy, game, and uh, he blew by his guy and got the dunk that uh, forced overtime. It was it was surprising to me that they got off the ban- got off the floor there. They were uh, they did a good job of battling, but you get down seven with three minutes to go, and your only child is sitting over there in street clothes with the splint on the finger, and he's out for a week or two or whatever. Kind of vague on that, but for a while, whatever it is, and uh, they they powered through without him. Uh, Toulson went for twenty four. Hawes went for 29. They both shot the ball pretty well. Not so well from three until right at the end of the game in overtime when it looked like they were done. And Hawes hit a massive three that got him, got him close, but ultimately they, they couldn't get it. So nice effort by BYU. I thought that, um, you know, it, 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 was, uh, it was gritty. You know, they, they battled. Uh, St. Mary's really had to have that. I mean, when Childs is out, you know how it works with the NCAA tournament committee. If you're missing a guy, uh, the committee will take that into account. And they had Joe Lenardi, you know, the bracketologist, was there in the gym with them, and they had a bunch of graphics, and they went through it in the first half. If you were a little late to the game, you missed it. But um, they went through a bunch of graphics in the first half showing what BYU was with Yoli and without him, uh, you know, and the net rating and where he thought they would be seated with him and they, where they'd be seated if they didn't have him, the record with him and the record without him. Uh, this is just their – they've got just one loss um, – when he plays, they've now got four losses. They're barely over 500 um, when he doesn't play. So they went through all of that. Um, 
And obviously, if you know if, if he's healthy, tournament time, then all that stuff should break in their favor. They shouldn't really get penalized for that loss. But can you imagine how St. Mary's would have been penalized if they lost to BYU without him? They really had to win that game. And uh, ultimately, they did. It was, uh, you know, without Yoli and his rebounds, um, St. Mary's had an, one extra offensive rebound, I think six more rebounds. And so it's easy to think, man, if Yoli had been there, you know, it's an overtime game. He would have given him a little scoring punch. They would have fared a little better on the backboards. He would have gotten some easy hoops inside. And you can play woulda, coulda, shoulda forever. Um, not so much in college. You hear this more in the NBA. Uh, but in the NBA, they always talk about when a guy goes out, the first game the team plays better. But then over the length of it, they don't have that extra adrenaline, that extra focus, you know, us against the world, we're going to show them and all that stuff. And then they tend to really miss the guy who's out, whoever it is. Um, we'll see if that's how it plays out in Philadelphia because uh, Embiid is out now, uh, ligament damage in his hand, and so he, he, could, he could miss a pretty big chunk of time here. And uh, sure enough... Without him, they beat the Celtics with a big fourth quarter rally. They were down. They really dominated the fourth quarter and uh, and took that over. Now over time, Philly may get hurt by that, but you know without Embiid, um, you know they get the news and he's going to be gone for a while. So they all rally, and uh, we'll see how this plays out for BYU. Now, of course, in the West Coast Conference, there's a wide wide variance of talent. You know, at the top of the league, you got Gonzaga, and it looks like they're stacking up with pretty much everybody in the country again. And then you've got um, St. Mary's and BYU on the next tier. And when Lenardi was on during the game, he was talking about, uh, you know, are they a seven seed? Are they an eight seed? Are they a nine seed? Um, you know, with Yoli, maybe the seven without him, uh, a nine. Um, well, actually, with with that was uh, St. Mary's with the overtime because uh, they had a quadruple overtime game and that loss to um, – uh, UOP dropped them a couple lines from 7th to ninth, But uh, with BYU, uh, it was like 50 spots in the net rating or something. It went from like 32 to 83 or something like that. So really, they're not even a tournament team without him. So that would have been a horrible loss for St. Mary's. And yet BYU, the committee may excuse it if he comes back. And BYU plays really well when he gets back. The question is just, you know, how long is he going to be out? How many games is he going to miss? Are they going to drop a game without him? Um uh, this was a little higher scoring than a lot of BYU games. St. Mary's. It was weird. I watched the Arizona. Uh, well, I didn't watch all of it, but I watched uh, a couple big chunks of the Arizona Oregon game uh, earlier. And, you know, Arizona's got all kinds of talent. It was a crazy game, and Oregon won it. And they went. Uh, they went overtime in that one. And it was. Uh, it was. It was a good game. It was entertaining. But Arizona's got all this talent. But at times the, the spacing's lost. They don't know who they should get the ball to. And then some guy's just like, I don't know what we're supposed to do. And he just puts his head down and goes to the hoop. And their talent is not coached up. And St. Mary's, man, they're just coached up constantly. Ford's a really good guard, and he's dangerous with the ball in his hands. And they space things, and they know what they want to do. And uh, BYU, BYU is up for the challenge. They take the loss. They drop to 12-5 and five on the air. But I thought it was, uh, it was a strong performance by the Cougs. And I was surprised because, honestly, I thought if they'd gone out there and lost that game by 10, 12, 15, whatever. Without Yoli Childs, that wouldn't have really been surprising. I kept waiting for St. Mary's, you know, to put a 14-3 to run on him or something like that and open up a lead. And uh, 
it never happened. You know, they were able to grind away, but they never got it to double digits. And uh, BYU got it into overtime where St. Mary's prevailed. So there's the college hoops for the night. Uh, we'll have more hoops this weekend. BYU comes back, and they have got uh, Portland at home this weekend. This is the kind of game they can't drop. They can't drop these, and yeah, they'd probably get a little break without Yoli, but I just I don't think you can do that. They've got uh, Portland on Saturday. If he's out a couple weeks, that's rough because next week they got San Diego on Thursday, and they probably don't need him for that. Uh, they got Gonzaga on Saturday. Uh, the 18th, so a week from this Saturday, they play Gonzaga. So if he's out two weeks, he misses that game. Uh, and that one's uh, up at Gonzaga. So hopefully it's just one week. But they, the quote from uh, Mark Pope on the radio pregame show with Greg Rubel was a week or two or something, you know, we'll have to see. Kind of got vague there at the end, so we'll see how it plays out. Um, San Diego, I know they've given BYU trouble in other years and they've been able to beat them, but uh, Gonzaga's has worked them. Just absolutely destroyed San Diego. So you got that top tier with Gonzaga. You got BYU and uh, St. Mary's on the next tier. And I think San Diego's on some kind of fourth or fifth tier down several notches. So DJ and PK. All right, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Coming up, Craig Bowlerjack talking jazz. Got the game with Charlotte tonight coming off that win over the Knicks. And they got the nice seven-game win streak. And then Joe Ingles coming up. Uh, later this hour. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. The Jazz are back at it tonight. The Charlotte Hornets are in town. Can the Jazz take them down and make it eight straight wins and 13 out of 14? Uh, they're 25 and 12 right now. Everything's going well. And this is the last home game for a while because they're going back out on the road for a three-game road trip. So can they get the Hornets tonight? They sweep the season series because they just beat the Hornets in Charlotte a couple of weeks ago on a previous road trip. Not this last one, but the one before that. So, can the Jazz get the W tonight? We talked a little bit about that with Craig Bowlerjack. He joined us late in yesterday's show, so you hear Bowler will drop some last nights, but you know, two nights ago, but you get the point. Here's Craig Bowlerjack with PK and I. Craig Bowlerjack, good morning. Hello, DJ PK, how are you? We're good. Bowler, I'm curious. How much extra prep did you do for the Jazz Knicks broadcast because you were pretty sure it was going to be a blowout and you're going to need a lot of stuff to talk about. I mean, is that yeah. like the heaviest lifting you do all year? I mean, I don't want to, you know, broadcasting a game isn't, you know, a construction job in the snow. Let's not say it's real hard, right? right. But nonetheless, right. compared to another game, a two-point game, the story tells itself. This was, uh, you knew this was going to be bad. Well, after uh, the Knicks got beat in L.A. Uh, against the Lakers by 30, you kind of figured uh, the way that we know how this league works on a back-to-back, on a blowout, you could two things could happen, and that means uh, and it, I knew it probably wouldn't happen with the Knicks, the way this team's going. And then when I heard that uh, uh, Julius Randle was out for personal reasons, yes, I, I really, in late afternoon, uh, really started to decide this thing could get out of hand. And last night, you know, the Jazz took advantage and, and uh, eight players in double figures. And 
and the rest is history. And that's the way you're su- you're supposed to dominate teams that are not uh, not by any means as good as you. And uh, Utah is taking advantage of the schedule right now and 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 making making one incredible run, uh, hottest team in the NBA. And the thing is, though, guys, yet have we seen Denver? Yet we have not. You know, the Jazz have not played Houston. And, uh, you know, they've got – I think that's where the, some of the, the tests, you know, will come. Uh, we'll get a better idea to see, you know, putting them putting the Jazz up against teams of that nature, which are the, the high-level teams uh, in, the, in the West. Yeah, that's one of the things we've been discussing. We can comparing what the Jazz are doing right now to what the Utes did in football. And they beat up and really, I mean, just dominated a bunch of teams that – Turns out, you know, some of them were okay, but none of them were really outstanding. And so we know they got a very nice record, and then it ended poorly. Now, we have no idea how the Jazz are going to end. That will be determined in the coming months. But we see a correlation there that you beating up on a bunch of teams you're supposed to be beat up on. And I thought that the Utes were legitimate, and they were going to at least split between Oklahoma and Texas. And not only did they not split, they got worked. Now, I think the same thing with the Jazz, that they are legitimate. But since the competition hasn't been that great, I guess I'm not really sure. Well, you know, the correlation is uh, interesting. But at the same time, we've got to play this season out too, PK. I I, I think again, you know, there's been quality wins. You know, you, you got one against the Clippers, a full, a full, uh, you know, roster strength uh, with Paul George and Kawhi, and a win against the Bucks as well. Uh, so you put those on the shelf. But again, you know, in the Western Conference, you've got it's amazing how this schedule has been built this year, where we have seen just multiple games with Memphis, multiple games with New Orleans. And yet the teams that you're going to have to beat to get to the top, we've yet to see, Dallas and Houston and Denver. Um, those are the teams I'm really anxious for the Jazz uh, to finally play, and we'll get a heavy dose of, uh, of those teams as this month continues on. Um, the one thing, too, uh, that I think has helped the Jazz, and I think even the fan base, give you, get a little bit more excited is the Jazz made a – you know, bold decision to release Jeff Green. They they released Dante Exum, who they hoped PK was going to be a star, and it just did not happen here. And that happens sometimes. But in return, the Jazz, you know, got a guy named Jordan Clarkson, and also they gave Tony Bradley and George Niang more time on the floor. They went young, basically, and all of a sudden, this bench just seems to be revived. It's amazing how a player of Clarkson's stature with speed and I think a little attitude de- defensive mindset a uh, three-point shot that was is better than maybe some thought but it's a system too that I think that he's been able to thrive in and also blend in with the starters when Quinn sees it you know sees that need but I think that's what the exciting part is that actually the Jazz to win to win big and to, to take this team to a higher level you have to have bench play and I think that's part of what the Jazz have been able to do over this last six or seven games, and uh, that is to get a legitimate bench play uh, to help lift these, these this team to wins, but also to take some pressure off the starters. They can't carry the load every night, as you guys know. And that's what it was becoming, by, by the way. You know, 34, 35, 36 minutes of play for the starters, and I think that's the one thing 
that you have to have is depth, and all of a sudden the Jazz have been able to build some of that uh, off the bench. So is Clarkson going to do this? Because this seems almost too good to be true. I mean, he's just plopped in there. and You know, we shot a low percentage that first night, 4 for 12 for 9 points, but I happen to be at that game as a fan, which I do once a year probably, maybe twice. And you could just hear the people around talking about him, and they loved that he was aggressive, and the shots didn't go in, but people were just all sorts of pumped up. And by game two, you know, it's 19 and it's 20 points, and is it, it seems too good to be true, and yet it's gone on long enough, it seems like it is true. Yeah, the sample size, right? We always talk about sample size. Last night, game seven, uh, with the Jazz, you know, he's pretty uh, consistent throughout the night. He had 16 in New Orleans. He had 11 last night. Um you know, he had one three, and he what he doesn't do, uh, he's a scorer. Uh, there's a there's a couple assists and a, maybe a couple of rebounds uh, that go along with his box score. But his his uh, mentality is always, you know, one to be a scorer, and you know that's okay, I guess, in the way this Jazz team plays. They've got rebounders, we know that, uh, especially a guy named Gobert. But that was something the Jazz needed, I thought, DJ, desperately, was just a, a guy with a mental attitude to go, let's go get it done. And now all of a sudden, you can't help but discuss Moutier in, in this whole scenario as well. A guy who came here, we talked about it a lot, I want to be coached, no one's really taught me you know, to take my talents to this level. And the, the Jazz are known for developing players, and I guess you have to look at a Tony Bradley, you have to look at a George Niang, you have to look at a Royce O'Neal. And so, yeah, there's there's proof there that players have been developed and Moutier wanted to be a part of it. And all of a sudden, Clarkson's appearance has given him some abilities to do, I think, to, to be free. And his mid-range game is impressive. His ability to drive and finish is impressive. And there's a couple of sparks there with energy in that second unit. And I, I think that the, the sample size has been kind of proven that these two guys – play well together and they're also athletic and they they're scorers and that's what the jazz were looking for and that's why they made the move do you have any idea how close conley is i don't pk that's really kind of the the to me the the mystery um came back and what he played a half a game and and the, the hamstring um you know flared up again and i guess that the the reason um, you know, for this, they want to be extra careful. But at the same time, the Jazz are, are winning. So there's no, I guess really there's no panic, right, in bringing Mike back at this particular time. They want the great guys. I mean, I, you know, you get a chance to meet a lot of people, and this guy's a pro's pro. Um, frustrated, I'm sure. Uh, wants to play, absolutely. Uh, so now, you know, when he does become healthy and gets the green light, the next test would be, how you blend him back in when the Jazz are, are doing this type of damage, you know, winning 11 of 12, it's now 12 of 13. So uh, that's really the next, probably the next big story when Mike's available uh, and when they feel like physically he's able to come back on the floor and not retweak that hamstring. So it seems like when he does come back, there are several interesting questions. Does he go back in the starting lineup, which I believe he does, and I think Royce O'Neal goes to the bench. Do he goes back in the finishing lineup? I'm not so clear on that, and that could be a really difficult decision. I guess that's why Quinn gets the big money. Um, whose minutes does he take? Does he take a few from this guy and a few from that guy? Because you point out there were nights nice, the starters are playing like 36 minutes, and that is not plan A in the long run. You'd rather play guys less than that. So... 
Uh, are there any of these questions you have any clarity on? The one I'm most sure of is that he'll go into the starting lineup. I really think that'll happen. No one's no, told me that. It takes but that's me back to a time, and you guys remember, uh, you know, the Jerry Sloan uh, relationship with one, one Carlos Boozer. And I remember asking him when he came back from a similar injury that l- lingered for, for a long time, and that was a hamstring. And I said, you know, Booz, do you think you want to just maybe work yourself back off the bench, start stop me right in my tracks. Now, look, these are two different personalities, by the way, Mike Conley and Carlos Boozer. But he looked at me and says, Bowler, look, man, I'm a starter, period. And I thought, wow, okay. You know, that answered that question in a hurry. And sure enough, Booz came back and, and went back in the starting lineup. Again, I can't answer that question. Mike's in his 13th year in this league. And so you wonder if that plays a factor, what his mental mindset is, and also, you know, as this team plays team basketball, does he understand that he's more needed uh, from the bench, or do they know that they need him as a starter, and do they make a move and, and go back to what they did once? And that was to put Royce O'Neal on the bench and put Mike in with Donovan and keep Joe on the floor. So, again, like you made the point, it's Quinn, Dennis's, and Justin Zanuck and David Morey's, uh, you know, combined decision uh, brain power to decide what's best for this team. So, I think that's that's going to be a very big question and decision whenever that comes around. Well, I have a feeling that, you know, Boozer was a different situation. He was a little younger. Yeah. And Mike Conley's a little older. And he's been sitting there watching this team play at an impressive level and win a whole bunch of games. So I don't think he's going to be coming in here looking to be anything but a piece of the puzzle and to see where he can fit, certainly in the short term. Maybe long term if he gets it back and he's playing well, then you know he can get back to where he was. But for now, in the short term, uh, pretty much uh, in my mind, short term being to the All-Star break, let's say, which is you know about five weeks away, that he's just going to look to see, all right, whatever you need me to do, where can I fit in? Because we got a really good thing going here, and I just want to add to it. I certainly don't want to subtract from it. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a Conley way. I think Mike's that type of guy too. Yeah, and he is, as I said, different than what the what Carlos Boozer uh, brought to the Jazz during his time, uh, you know, with the franchise. But you know, uh, PK, I, I think again, you know, it's it's uh, you don't break what's working right, and it's that's what's difficult. Even it was for Dante to even find any minutes at all uh, to get on the floor. Uh, you know, when the Jazz started to play play better and I think what you'd see too is that limited minutes would be probably the order of the day from the from the medical staff that he'd have to work his way back in and those minutes would be very, would be very limited whether it's a starter in a starter role or a bench role so uh, again that will be uh, that will be the big story whenever they give him the green light to come back to see how they work him back in. Uh, I got some tweeting. I mean, it's just one person. It's Twitter, but I still think there's probably other people thinking it out there. Moutier, and then the greater than, that math symbol, right? The little arrow. Greater yeah. than Conley. And I'm thinking, I know they're red hot right now, and it's fun to watch right. them win, and they just bludgeon the Knicks. But when you get to the playoffs, and you're running into the Rockets, or the Lakers, or the Clippers, I'm thinking, you need a lot of playoff experience. Conley has got that. So, let's go big picture here. I know he didn't get off to the best start, and I know he hasn't played for a month, but none of that, is any of that going to matter when we get to April and May? Now, if you can't play at a high level, that, you know, you don't get anything for just having experience, but still, you'd rather have it than not in the NBA playoffs. Yeah, I mean, that comes into play. That is part of the 
equation, you know, the, the, the greater sign. I see, I see that a lot, you know, Twitter greater than, less than. And, uh, you know, right now, Moody is playing at a high level, granted, and Conley's not on the floor. So, yeah, I can see where fans would say that. But, you know, what happens, too, usually in playoff basketball, coaches will uh, slim down their rotation, right? I mean, usually they do. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I think PK's point is interesting that, you know, the all-star break is always an interesting time. You know, if you're injured, you know, you usually make your bounce back, your comeback, either just before or just after. Teams protect you up to that point, and then you really have to see what you have uh, because the, the all-star break is not the halfway point. The halfway point's coming up in Brooklyn next week. That's That's game 41 just around the corner. Once you come back from the all-star break, it's usually a 25, 26, 27 game run to the finish. And so that's where coaches have to start making some tough decisions. Uh, and you start to see how the rotations are going to be built out as they, they, you know, as they come into April. So again, we'll find out a lot, maybe just prior to the all-star break, uh, Conley, they've rested him, they've rehabbed him. And sooner or later you have to just say, Hey coach, let's go. Uh, give it a shot. And if it flares up again, then you've got a chronic issue. Uh, so uh, that time's coming. And I think probably the all-star break prior to you, you'll, you'll see Conley and then Quinn makes decisions on how the rotation goes in those final 25 games of, of the regular season. You know, most of the time when Thurl Bailey's doing the commentary with him, you call him T. I would like for yeah. you to call Matt Harpring M. <laughs> okay. Is that, doesn't, wasn't him uh, who James Bond had? Uh, and, yes. Uh, yeah, him. I am. <laughs> Let me try that. I don't know how Matt would respond to that. Poorly. I can guarantee it. He yeah, would respond well, poorly. Even better. That's why you should do it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, M. How are you, pal? Great to have you back. M. M. T. PK, I love you, man. I'd say you come up with some great great thoughts. And that, you know, I may just do that to tick him off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can just see him. I can just see the forehead scratching him looking at you like what is wrong with Nothing you? wrong with getting what under people's skin? Yeah, what is wrong with you? Oh, man. oh that's funny. Oh yeah, yeah, T, you know, it's just it's just it's just T, right? Yeah. I mean, you just big T or hey T. I mean, that's that's kind of the way it's always been. Uh and that's funny. I mean, it's like you guys. I can't call you Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I don't think I you ever have. <laughs> no, never. It just doesn't. It doesn't seem right. It just doesn't seem right. <laughs> I'm gonna write. I'm writing that down. M. Hey, Matt. M. Welcome back. Bowler, thanks for a few minutes. We appreciate it. All right, guys. We'll see you soon. Thanks for the call. There's Craig Bowlerjack, the TV voice of the Jazz. When we come back, the Joe Ingles Show. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. 
Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Joe Ingles with another solid game in the win over the Knicks. Now they've got Charlotte tonight as they try to stretch the win streak to eight games. A win for the 13th time in 14 games. Joe Ingles joining us late in yesterday's show for you early risers. Here is a very popular jazz player with PK and I on 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush. And it's time to hear from the best looking, most charismatic, and certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle bells. Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe to the cop, slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show. With DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. Joe Ingles joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Lease any phone and get an iPad or a Samsung Tab A for $99.99. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Joe, good morning. Good morning. So, Joe, I'm curious. When you were seven years old. Sure you are. <laughs> right? That's why I'm a reporter. I get to ask people stuff. When you were seven years old, did you just walk into a room and pop off and crack the whole place up? I mean, is this something you've always done? Um, I, guess, I mean, I guess to a certain extent, my personality's been the same my whole life. I don't think it's changed too much. Um, I don't know, I think, yeah, I mean, I've always, I guess I've never been a front. I obviously have fun in all my life. I was, Lucky to have, obviously, and, um, yeah, just kind of enjoy my my life and enjoy talking to people and trying to help people kind of when I can if they're feeling down or if they need some confidence or whatever it is. But I guess I've yeah, I mean, I've I guess I feel like I've always been the same way. So Kareem Abdul-Jabbar had the sky hook, and against the Knicks, you put in something that resembled a hook. What do you call that? Um, I just threw it and prayed that it went in. <laughs> it was stuck in the air. The, the throw and prayer? <laughs> no, I knew what I was doing. I told Rudy my left hand hook is way better than his. I'm one for one on the year. He's like one for 40 on the year. <laughs> See, there you go. You, you make a bucket and you got a line to go after Rudy. You walked in the locker room after the Knicks game and uh, Bogdanovich is doing a post-game media thing and you immediately, NBA history, three rebounds, three assists, lighting him up for the 35.0 rebounds, zero assists. Did you know when you walked in you were going to do that or just it just pops in your head and you just let it rip? Yeah, no, I didn't even, I mean, obviously didn't know who was going to be doing media um, or anything, so I just... Uh, I guess came in at the right time, and um, we were we were obviously laughing the last couple of days. Um, having, I think he was the, he said that he was the first player in NBA history to have multiple twenty five plus points with zero 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 serving the L. So um, we were laughing about it the last few days, and Boyan being Boyan, who's not serious but very like. Just kind of straight down the line, he was like, "Well, I made history." Like, I mean, other people have made history. <laughs> That's good. It just—it is what it is, and obviously, we we love what he does. So it was. Uh, I think he got. I think yeah. I think I started laughing on the court because I think the first we lost the tip, they missed the first shot, and he got the first rebound of the game. We're like, see, it's not that hard to get like one rebound. It isn't. But 
he's a great player. I love him. And I found in my life when things are going wrong, work actually is a refuge. And love coming in here doing the show because I can forget about my issues. And I'm wondering for professional ball players like yourself, you know, you had some stuff last year which you announced this year with the fires down in your home country and all just devastation and, and you probably got some other stuff. How much does the game provide relief for you to get away from that stuff if it does at all? Yeah, I think it, I think it, it, it does for, for sure. I think depending on what it is, 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 is difficult at different times. Um, I think everyone, obviously now knowing what we were going through with, with Jacob last year, it wasn't as much as it was like when I was out there practicing or playing, I wasn't directly thinking about what we were going through, but I wasn't also on the flip side. I wasn't there mentally at all, really, um, as I'm sure a few people wrote articles about. <laughs> so that, like for that circumstance, it was like nothing that was going to, um, I guess, take me away from thinking about it and thinking about Renee and Jacob and Miller and um, kind of what we were going through and what life was going to look like um, once we did get the, the diagnosis. The, the stuff with, like, the fires and stuff like that now, it is, it's uh, obviously thinking about Lyda, one of my best friends who's kind of grown up with me and, and knows Renee obviously extremely well for the last kind of 10 years. Um, he lost his whole winery, which was his baby. He started from nothing. Um, so we've had some friends. Renee's had some, uh, some of our netball teammates that have either been like metres away from losing their homes or, or losing some stuff or, or uh, like family homes and things like that. So um, when it's stuff, I guess, like that, that when you're not playing, you are thinking about it. But obviously when I'm on the court, you, you're pretty locked in and... Um, not kind of directly happening to, to Renee or my, my children. I think that kind of can take you away and you can get lost in practice in the games a little bit. Like like I said, with Jacob's stuff last year, we, there was nothing that was going to stop me thinking about it until I knew um, and was comfortable with Renee, what we were going to be kind of looking at in the future and that Jacob was going to be getting the best help and, and therapy that he needs. And, and obviously now he's, he's in a really good spot. So that's... Um, something that I'm really comfortable with. So I guess with the fires, one, there's multiple traumatic things that go on there, but if you don't follow it close or know somebody down there, you know, there have been multiple fires over multiple years, so it's like reliving the nightmare, and and this is bigger and it's worse, but my wife's best friend from college is down there, and they lost their home in one of the previous fires and had a very harrowing escape from it. So I guess for the, the people who are there, some of them are going through this trauma over and over, which makes it especially awful. Not that it wouldn't be awful just yeah, the first I mean, time. Obviously, depending on kind of where you live, if you're, out, if you're kind of out in those areas that have um, been catching fire more often, it's, yeah, it could be a, a yearly thing or depending on how bad it gets. So, um for, for me and, and Renee and our home, we're we're way close to the to the city and the, the kind of the, the central of Melbourne, so we're we're lucky. But um, you just can't. I mean, it's obviously dead. you can't even think about what what people are going through and um, what they've lost and and the, the wildlife that's been lost. And um, thank thank God we've had some rain and and starting to to kind of be out like I guess con- somewhat controllable. Um, and the hard thing too is, is obviously being over here. Um, 
uh, I, I know Renee and, and like if we were there, being able to actually get your hands dirty and actually help and, and do something. Um, obviously, from here is is not that much you can do, um, kind of immediately to, to try and help some people or, or the animals or whatever kind of it is. Yeah, it's just a, it's obviously a really devastating thing for for our country and. Um, like I said in the press release that we did with the NBA and the NBPA, we've we've got some more with me and I are working with the Jazz. Um, so hopefully in the next kind of day or two we'll be able to announce what we're doing. Um, but hopefully that, that goes really well. And everyone here in Utah and stuff supporting, and we can we can try and raise some money to, to send back to to help as many people as we can. On the court, when you're coming down that left side and you're deciding, are you going to ball fake, are you going to shoot, are you going to pass to Rudy if he's cutting or in the corner? Is it easier this year? It seems like the lane is wider this year to me, to the you know, the amateur eye that I have. And I'm wondering if it's easier because you have more shooters on the floor this year or if that's even true. Um, yeah, I think it uh, obviously with like whoever, Boyan in the corner or whatever it is, it's, um, they're not leaving Boyan. They're not going to leave Mike when he's back. Um, Donovan, Royce is shooting 40-odd percent. Um, and then I think what a lot of people forget about is the big French guy that's running down the middle. Like, it's... Yeah, we've we've obviously um, made those changes to, to, the, to the wings and, and point guard and all that, and that's, that's helped. But Rudy led the league in dunks last year by a long while and broke the record or whatever it was. Um, and teams are really concerned about him. I don't know how, it's probably not, people probably don't really watch it because it's, it's not the ball. And, and when it, but when Rudy rolls down the lane after a, a pick and roll or whatever, he gets, he gets bumped and hit by two or three people every time. And he's obviously developed offensively so well that man with breaking the record last year that they're trying to stop those lob passes to him or him running down the lane for bounce. So, um, him rolling and getting on the rim and what he did last year has really opened it up as well. And, and then you obviously combine that with the guys that we have on the on the wing. It's um, it's a pretty dangerous kind of combination. Joe Ingles joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Are you guys at all worried about losing your edge as you crush one team after another? What what keeps you focused so you don't go out there and think, oh, it's another night, we'll win easily? Because when that happens, obviously you get beat. Yeah, I think um, as boring as the answer is, you, we, we, you take it one game at a time as we do and as we have done for the five and a half years. And we've always done when we were – on that nine-game losing streak, four or five years, was at home. Spurs were the top of the ladder for, for a long time, and um, that was the same focus then as it is now. You, you can't. I don't think you can get. Uh, I think I read it from someone last night from the media that, regardless of who you're playing and who their record is, they've still got ten, twelve, fifteen NBA players out there, and. They're still really good players. Like you're not in this league if you're not a good basketball player, and um, especially those guys. They had two of arguably their best players out. They've got a, a new coach after a fire, and they play really hard. Um, obviously, playing free because of the situation they're in with their roster, and um, just losing a coach not not too long ago and stuff. So, and every team 
is kind of at a different point in their season that they've obviously everyone's got something to play for. If it's individually, they're trying to get better. Obviously, as a team trying to make the playoffs, if they're in ninth spot, trying to bump up to eight or seven, and um, we, we've really just got to take it kind of one game at a time. And um, like you said, keep that for the minute you walk into a game thinking you're going to win, um, usually ends pretty badly. Um, and I don't think we've done that this year at all. And we haven't played great against the, the lower-ranked teams or whatever, or the games that we're supposed to win. We haven't played great in all. Last night was probably the one of the more consistent um, kind of overall games that we've played. But we go into every game with the same mindset of, of just trying to focus on that game and that individual player and that scout. And, and then we, we kind of obviously try and handle business and, and move on to the next one. Do you think you're playing the best you've ever played in the NBA right now? Me? Yeah, you, yeah you personally. Oh, I couldn't care less. I know, but what do you think record? so? No, yeah. What's that? Do you feel, you you feel the best about your your game right now, then, if you don't want to brag on yourself? Uh, I mean, I obviously feel good. Um, I, I, I mean, I don't even know if I've played the best or better or whatever. I think every year for me is I've tried to get better. Uh, I've tried to do something different to, to make myself more effective or um, more efficient or, or whatever it is. And obviously this year the, the big thing was going right and getting comfortable doing that. Um, I'm extremely comfortable doing that now. And I think that was not the final kind of piece I needed to add, it, add but it was, a, it was a big piece because of what's happened the last couple of years and, and, and obviously even this year the teams are kind of doing the same thing. So for me, feeling comfortable doing that has, has been, and I think that's opened up a lot for me as well. It's got me, been able to get me back to my left a lot. Um, it's kind of, uh, I think it's put thought into teams' minds of do we want to send him right because I feel better. <laughs> I've tried to state it on, on record so teams will realise that I actually feel more comfortable going right shooting right now. So, if they're listening, please keep sending me right. Um, but no, I just, I, I don't know, I just feel really comfortable. I'm obviously really comfortable with the system. I'm obviously comfortable with coach. Um, and like I said, every year I try to add something to my, to, to both ends, offensively and defensively. And um, yeah, I'm just in a, a really good spot. So Emmanuel Moutier said something interesting after the game last night that made me think of you. He was talking about how he said, I thought like I was... You. He what? His IQ. <laughs> yeah. He said, I thought I had a high basketball IQ and I was a pretty smart basketball player, and I got here, but there's a lot of details that Quinn wants us to work on. And I wondered if 17-year-old you had a conversation with you now, would 17-year-old you be blown away by all the stuff you've learned, you know, all the things you've added one year after another to your game? Oh, for sure. Um, not even 17-year-old me. A 26 and a half, 26 and three quarters year old me um, right before I got here and um, I, was actually, I was actually thinking about it the other day my career in Europe and I, I don't know I, I guess I felt like I didn't have the coaching staff that trusted me or, or whatever the situation was in Europe but I just wasn't I definitely wasn't a confident basketball player um, I was the same guy off the court I was the same guy on the court really but I just didn't have the confidence to, to go and do what I thought I could do or, or should be doing. Um, and I got here and it was like from day one of 
knowing Quinn and, and I didn't know Quinn that well before. I knew him, met him a few times of, of playing against him, but the, the confidence that he's given me as a basketball player and as just a human in general is, um, yeah, I mean, I never would have thought, I never would have, I, I wasn't even planning to get guaranteed my first year, never mind be here six years later and have whatever, two more years on my contract. So, um, yeah, I mean, I owe a lot to, to the Jazz for finding me and believing in me and then obviously um, even more to Quinn for, for doing and making me feel the way I feel out on the basketball court now because before that, it was, uh, it was a pretty miserable challenge. Uh, yeah, I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad I landed on my feet here. My only criticism, Joe, is you can't blow Chris's until the fourth quarter, not in the third quarter. It's too early. You guys get nervous? Yeah, yeah, a little bit, yeah. You know, exactly. seriously, people yeah. tweeted at me. I was tweeting during and people tweeted at me, none of this matters, it's over. Joe blew a kiss in the third quarter, it's done. It's too early. <laughs> I'd, love to know, okay. I'd love to know a record on the, uh, my kiss-blowing um, affair. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the record is, but I actually, uh, that last one was, like, that was the most random, like, loose one I've ever done because I didn't, I wasn't going to shoot it. First off, I was going to drive, and the people, I can't even remember where we were, wherever we were, um, the people in the front row were, like, yelling at me before. As I, I could hear them as I was running down the court. And then as I caught it, they were yelling even more, and I was like, well, I have to shoot it now. Um, and it was just an automatic response. So, um, yeah, but it was all good. I, I knew we were good that game. Okay. All right, Joe, we appreciate a few minutes, as always. Thanks for joining us. No worries at all. Thanks for having me. There's Joe Ingles with PK and I. He is here every week. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, all the headlines. What is trending on the way?